This world, our families, our lives are broken and messy. What if Jesus could take our failures, our pride, doubts, rebellion, shame? What if Jesus could accomplish something we never imagined? What if he could take our messes and create something astounding? Something meaningful, life-changing, beautiful, something the world has never seen before. Father, I do thank you for your hand of grace, your hand of truth, your hand of power that is upon your church. I think of Jesus' famous words where he says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And Father, I thank you that uh, we've been able to have such a wonderful hand in kingdom building for 55 plus years here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And God, we pray that as we move into this next season where we bring the, uh, the Mountain Valley folks back here and look to relaunch another multi-site and secure cactus and what have you, God, continue to give our elders wisdom. Guide them, Lord, as godly men as they are, and may they uh, steer this ship in the direction you want it to go. As we turn to your word now, Father, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and insight. May you be honored and glorified in our teaching now, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen. So, you've been sitting for 10 minutes through that announcement. We're gonna read the word of God right now, and what am I gonna ask you to do? Stand. Why don't you guys stand? Uh, Cactus and Mountain Valley, a chapel and venue, all of you guys stand together. Uh, this is our text before us today. Again, the topic is betrayal, and uh, we'll set the context here in a few minutes, but let's read the action. The Last Supper of Jesus, and they're at the dinner table, and this is what it says happens next. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that, that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, we've been saying in this series all along, and some of you have yet to really grasp onto this, the last supper of Jesus, this single meal with his disciples before his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection literally was a veritable mess. 
The action ping-pongs back and forth between forgiveness to betrayal to glory to love, and it ends with a prediction of denial, all in one meal. If you want to understand John 13, understand the mess that Jesus was involved in in this last meal of his before his arrest, but we've also noted that it's a beautiful mess. And the reason it's beautiful is because you have the Son of God smack dab present in that setting and he's doing his work in and among the disciples that will have an effect on the entire world and it becomes a beautiful mess. And so let's parse out what's happening here. Jesus has just walked back to the table and given them, after giving them the call to forgive each other through that word picture of washing each other's feet, and right on the coattails of this call to forgive, Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. But one of you is going to betray me. And though you and I have been to Sunday school and we know who it is that Jesus is talking about, it's Judas, the Benedict Arnold of that group, the disciples don't know that yet, right? They haven't been to Sunday school. They haven't read ahead. They don't know what's happening here. And so Peter, who's always the extrovert and leader, notices that John, referred to here as the disciple whom Jesus loved, five times John refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So Peter notices that John is sitting right next to Jesus, and the text tells us he motions to him to ask Jesus who it is. And again, this happened 2,000 years ago, but my guess is the motions were still the same back then, right? So he sit there and say, hey, John, you ask him, you ask him, who is it? Ask him. And so John does. He says, you know, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus says, and I quote, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Now, some people tried to make a big deal out of the dipping of the morsel of bread, that there's some symbolism in there. We don't know of any symbolism at all in Jewish culture to be tied to that type of thing. So maybe there is, but we don't know it. But that's not the point anyways. The point is, is that when Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, that was the clue to Peter and John that this is the guy who's going to betray Jesus as well as all of them. And so Jesus gives the bread to Judas, tells him to do what he's going to do quickly, and Judas leaves the dinner right there, and he goes and finds the chief priests in order to receive his 30 pieces of silver, which is the price that he sold Jesus for, and he's going to turn them over later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Jewish leaders. But the rest of the disciples are kind of clueless to all of this. They didn't connect the dots between Jesus telling them that one of them was going to betray them and that, or betray him, and then the giving of the morsel, and then telling Judas to leave quickly. They didn't connect those dots together because I think only Peter and John really heard that. So they think that Judas, who was the treasurer of that little group, might be going out to get more food, or Jesus told him to give some to the poor. They don't know. They just simply know something is amiss here. Something is going down. And despite the confusion of who didn't get, who got it and who didn't, what is most important for you and I to see is that the betrayal had begun. Judas Iscariot, latch on to this gang, one of the most closest followers of Jesus, one of the inner 12 who had been with Jesus for 
three years, someone who Jesus would literally call a friend up until the very last moment, would go out and let, and let the Jewish authorities know where Jesus was going to be later that night, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then take them there in order to turn Jesus over to them. And he did it all for the love of money, for 30 pieces of silver. And though this was very much a part of the Father's plan, predicted way back in the Old Testament, and though God the Father was going to use this to secure the atonement of humankind as Jesus would go to the cross, it was still betrayal. It was still something that would have huge consequences for Judas as well as the rest of the disciples. And so I really do want to unpack this idea of betrayal in the time we have remaining today and look at what betrayal actually involves and what you and I can do about it. Now watch this. If we ever betray God like this, because you have it in you to do that, or if we get betrayed in our own lives, because my guess is you have, or if you betray somebody else. Let's understand what betrayal is and what we can and should do about it. Two things I want to share with you in our time remaining that come right from this, this account here. Here's the first thing. Let's get on the same page with what betrayal is. And that is that a betrayal occurs whenever there is a breach of trust. You got to latch on to this, gang. This is the definition and the nature and understanding of betrayal from Jesus' perspective. A betrayal occurs whenever there is a breach of trust. Now think about it with me. Uh, trust is the glue that keeps relationships together and healthy, right? Give me a head now that y'all understand that. If you're married, you get that. If you have kids, you get that. If you have a job, you get that. If you have neighbors or friends, you get that. Trust is what keeps a relationship going and growing. So when a trust is breached or broken, by its very nature, you and I feel betrayed. And I promise that you do. Sometimes in small ways, Sometimes in big ways, but it's all the same. Betrayal happens when a trust is breached. Uh, probably the greatest example I can give you is this. How many of you, uh, let's do an audience participation here. How many of you have ever shared a secret with somebody and told them not to tell anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Almost all of us. Okay, second part of the question. How, ma how, how many of you have ever shared a secret with somebody, told them not to tell anybody, and that person has told somebody? Raise that hand if that's happened to you. Most of us. Do you know what we call that? Betraying a confidence. That's what we call that, betraying a confidence. You share a confidence in somebody, and if they tell somebody else, they've betrayed that. They've breached the trust. But we also use a phrase in the English called betraying a trust. When you make a commitment to somebody, when you tell somebody, I will do this or I won't do that, but then all of a sudden you go and do it, what have you done? You've, you've betrayed a trust. And that's why I say betrayal occurs whenever we breach trust. Webster's Dictionary defines betrayal this way, to fail someone in time of need. I kind of like that. If somebody puts their confidence or trust in you or you put it in someone else and they fail you and just simply see right now that the very act of them failing you makes you feel betrayed. 
I'm not going to write the Greek word down because it bores the stiff out of you guys when I do that. But, 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 but there is a Greek word that Jesus uses here in verse 21 when he says that I'm going to be betrayed. And what that word literally means in the Greek is to hand over or to deliver over. That's what the Greek word means when Jesus says that I'm going to be betrayed. And what's fascinating about this Greek word betray here, that means to hand over, deliver over, is that over the hundreds of times it's used in the New Testament, because it's used a lot, most of the time it's used positively. Isn't that interesting? Because all it simply means is, that, is, is to hand over something. So uh, it's used in, in uh, Corinthians by Paul to say to the Corinthians, I've handed over to you, I've handed off to you the traditions and truth of the Christian faith. That's a beautiful picture. Jesus used this same word to say that the Father has delivered over all things into my hands because I am the Son. So, so it's used very positively. But think about this with me. Jesus uses it negatively here in John 13 because his logic is this, that if you've been trust, entrusted with something and yet you hand over something that you're not supposed to hand over... It's still the same idea, but it becomes a negative thing, right? Just like the secret thing. Like if somebody entrusts you with a secret, if they deliver over a secret to you and you deliver it off to somebody else, same idea of delivering, but now it becomes a negative thing. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at with Judas. Judas was trusted by Jesus to be a faithful follower and to not take the side of the legalistic religious leaders who were out to get Jesus, but he did, and he handed Jesus over. He delivered Jesus over. He breached the trust, and by definition, this is betrayal. And let's face it, here's the tie-in for you and I today. This kind of betrayal happens all the time in our daily world. Amen? See, that was another spot for the amen. Let's try that again. This happens all the time in our daily world. Amen? amen. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. Uh, some of you have experienced a huge betrayal. You said your vows in your marriage at the altar there, and you said, till death do us part, I will keep the faith and somebody didn't keep the faith. And that's a huge betrayal in your life. And by the way, that fits the definition of a betrayal. They said they would keep the faith and they didn't. And for those of you who have survived that, and I'm so proud of many of you that have, you know that it's taken a lot of work to get through that. We'll talk about what it takes here in a minute. And then sometimes we get betrayed in little ways in our lives. You know, the kid says that he or she is going to do something like take out the garbage, you come home and the flies are all in the garbage, it's not taken out, and you feel slightly, say the word with me, betrayed. Not hugely, like I wouldn't send your kid to therapy for that one, but you do feel slightly betrayed at that. And so this idea of breaching a trust, I just need to get that in your head right now, it is the nature of betrayal. It happens all the time. We're not excusing it. And sometimes it's small and sometimes it's huge, like turning over the Son of God to the chief priests. Now, once we understand this, the definition and nature of betrayal, the question becomes, and this is our final question we're going to ask today before the communion table, when we are betrayed... Or when we betray, can this be forgiven? 
And by forgiven, let me be very clear here, I don't mean necessarily the kind of forgiveness we talked about last week. Because last week, and this will, will be hard for some of you, last week was forgiveness 101. In other words, it was a kind of forgiveness where whether somebody repents or not, whether they say I'm sorry or not, you as a follower of Jesus need to let that thing go. You can review the sermon if you missed it. That's forgiveness 101. That's like, I'm just gonna let it go and I'm not gonna hold it against the other person. That's what we're called to do. But, but forgiveness is complicated. Uh, the, the other or the further act of forgiveness is when not only do you let it go and not hold them against you, but you're willing to have a restored relationship with them. You're willing to reconcile. You're willing to let bygones be bygones and move on and love them and relate to them in the same way that you have been in the past. And the question I have for you is when betrayal happens, how do we get that kind of forgiveness, that kind of healing? And can that really happen? And the answer is a hopeful answer. It's yes, and it's point two on your outline. And Jesus and Judas actually reveal this to us in kind of a roundabout way. And that is that a betrayal can be forgiven to the point of restoration when there is restored faith or restored trust followed up by repentance. Let me repeat that. A betrayal can be forgiven. The relationship can be restored when there is restored faith and repentance. You know, there's actually a, a beautiful parallelism going on in uh, the, the story here with Jesus and Judas, and it parallels another betrayal that's going to be talked about at the end of this chapter, and that's the betrayal that Peter has with Jesus. And some of us don't like to think of that as a betrayal, you know, because, you know, you say, we didn't actually betray Jesus, he just denied Jesus. And I sit there and go, really? That's your defense of Peter? that he didn't betray him. I mean, let's face it, denial is a form of betrayal. I mean, he basically said, I never knew the guy. We had nothing to do with each other. Don't persecute me, you ought to be persecuting him. I would call that a slight betrayal, if you ask me. And that's what Peter did. And there's an amazing parallel between Judas and his betrayal and what he did with it and then Peter over here and his betrayal and what he did with it. And basically what Judas did is that he betrayed Jesus, as we've already seen, there was a betrayal, and he followed it up with remorse. He really did. He felt very remorseful for what he did to Jesus. Look at how Matthew records this in his gospel account. Matthew 27, verse 3, it says, when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So Judas felt bad for what he did. Uh, some other translations use different words here than remorse. I use the NASB here. The ESV uh, says Judas changed his mind. I'm not sure that's the best translation. They do that because he changed his mind and then handed the money back, and so they're trying to tie the two together. Uh, but the word really means remorse. He felt bad for what he did. And because he felt bad, he returned the money. Now watch this. And then two verses later, what does he do? Has anybody read the Bible? He kills himself. He hangs himself in the midst of his remorse. So what you need to see is that Judas felt bad and it stopped there. 
He, he went from betrayal to remorse and said, that's it. And my question for you, it's a brutal question, is this, that when somebody feels remorseful for betraying somebody and that's all they do with it, they just feel bad about it, is that enough, yes or no? No, it's really not. And it's one of the brutal lessons that Judas teaches us is that Judas would never reconcile with Jesus. He would never get back in the ring with Jesus. He would never make good with Jesus, which is why Jesus calls him in John 17, 12, the son of perdition, which means the son of destruction, because he was doomed for the fact that he would never go beyond remorse. And that's the way some of us have dealt with betrayal in our lives. It's the way that some people in this world deal with betrayal. They, they, they mess up, they betray somebody, and they say, oh, I feel so bad about it. And then they just wallow in their remorse. Know anybody like that? They just sit there in it, and they honestly think, as Judas might have thought, that maybe their remorse is enough. I know people who think like that. I have thought like that at times. Kim's really mad at me and I messed up, you know, and I'm in the doghouse and, and I sit there and go, look, I feel bad, all right? I feel bad. And my question is, is that enough for Kim in that moment, yes or no? No, I'd like to think it is because I want out of the doghouse. I want her to let it go. I want to restore the relationship. But if there's one thing I've learned in marriage, remorse is not enough. It's a good start, but it's not enough. And it wasn't enough for Jesus and Judas, and it's not enough for you and I. So what is enough? This is what Peter teaches us. When Peter betrayed or denied Jesus, Peter actually restored eventually his belief in Jesus. In other words, he restored the trust. We'll see how he did that in a minute. And then he followed it up, and this is really key, with repentance. In other words, there's a parallelism going on here between these two accounts. Judas went from betrayal to remorse. Peter went right back to belief and faith and then followed it up with a repentance. Uh, Schrader, at the end of the series, is gonna talk a little bit about uh, Peter and the denial aspect. And then in probably a year from now, if and when we ever get to the end of the Gospel of John, I will do a message on John 21, which is Peter's actual restoration. But let me just wet your whistle with it now. You know what Peter did after he so denied and betrayed Jesus? Um, Peter <laughs> stayed in the ring, first of all, with God and the other disciples. He didn't distance himself from them. He didn't run as soon as Peter betrayed, the next scene we find him in after the crucifixion and resurrection is he's hanging out with the disciples, fishing with them. Do you remember that? So I find it interesting that he didn't, he didn't run, he didn't hang himself, he felt terrible, but he, he, he stayed in the ring with God and with his friends. And it's interesting because we don't know how long that occurred because we know that Jesus walked the earth for about 40 days after his resurrection till his ascension. So it could have been, you know, a full few weeks. It could have been a few days, but he's, he, he's out fishing with his friends, just hanging out, staying in the ring. And, and then do you guys remember this story? He, they see Jesus from the shore. And what does Peter do? Does anybody remember that? He jumps out of the boat. Uh, and, and swims to shore, like that Forrest Gump scene, you know, when Forrest jumps out of the boat and starts swimming ashore. I know, I shouldn't compare Peter to Forrest Gump, but anyways, he jumps out of the boat, and, uh, and, and he swims ashore, and, and the text kind of connotes this next, that Peter gets up on the shore, 
And I get weepy at this. He so, he so wants to be in the presence of Jesus. But he knows he's screwed up. He knows he's in the doghouse with him. He doesn't know what to do next. So he basically says, how about breakfast? And, and, and Jesus and them cook breakfast. And then it's the most touching thing in almost all the Bible that over breakfast, you remember this story, Jesus eventually looks to Peter and says, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I love you. And Jesus says, no, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. Jesus said, no, 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 do you love me? And Peter says, I, I've said it, I mean it, I love you. And Jesus says what? Feed my sheep. And it's interesting, because even after the feed my sheep statement, Jesus gives one more command to Peter. Most people miss it. There's one more command that comes after that. The last command Jesus ever gave to Peter, you know what that command was? Follow me. You can read it yourself later. Follow me. It's Jesus' way of restoring Peter based upon a, a, a restored faith and trust that took some time and then a true repentance as Peter stayed in the ring, jumped out of the boat, went and had breakfast with him, said I love you three times. I mean, there's a true repentance going on there. Peter didn't just feel remorse, but he followed it up with repentance and action. And again, all I know is that this seems to be the recipe that the New Testament gives you and I when it comes to betrayal in our lives of what, if we want to restore the relationship, what we can expect or expect from other people, and then what we might need to do ourselves in order to restore relationship. And you know, I was in my home office on Friday putting the finishing touches on this message and I, I, again, I'm a lawyer's kid so I tend to think like a lawyer. I thought, well, what would people say at this point? And I thought, you know, at this point, if I was you guys, I'd have a lot of questions still going on in my head. Especially if you've been the recipient of a big betrayal or whether you've been, betray been the betrayer yourself, uh, these would be the questions I would have if I were you. They'd be questions like, well, how do we know if the person is truly repented and be can be trusted again? And, and, and what does true repentance really look like? Like, what should I be looking for? And, and, and how do I even place my faith and trust in them again, even when they have repented and I still don't want to do it? Would those be real enough questions for you and I? And, and, and here, I was there laughing in my home office. I thought, if any of you come up to me afterward and tell me your story of what would ask me those questions, you know what I'm going to say to you? I haven't the foggiest idea of the answers to those questions. Do you know Why? because they're so incredibly personal. And only you're gonna know. And only you have to wrestle it out with God. Some of you have been there. You, you gotta wrestle this thing out. You have to work it through. What does the Bible say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, and I can't do that for you. All I can do is teach you what the Bible says. And so if maybe you walk out of here today with a few more questions in your mind, but you're, you're asking questions that hinge around restored faith and repentance, then guess what? That's the victory for me today. Because we've learned from Jesus and Judas and Peter what it looks like, what that means for you. I don't know, but I know you're on the right track if you're after that. And you have a church that loves you, you have a pastor that prays for you, and you have a God who says that if he is for you, nobody can be against you. So you're in a good place. My hope 
is that whether we are the betrayer or the one who's been betrayed, is that healing can come. The Bible says it can, but you gotta go beyond remorse. You gotta be a man or be a woman. Dig deep, show that other person what you're made of, what you can be in Christ, what they can be for you in Christ, and I think God will enter into that. I've seen too many victory stories to not believe it for you as well. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this amazing teaching from your word that John gives us about this Last Supper. And God, it really is a messy supper if there ever was one. But God, as we've looked at this idea of betrayal, I, for one, at least am filled with hope. God, I know I've been betrayed at times in my pastoral ministry and in my relationships. And when people have gone beyond remorse and, 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 and gone to the realm of restored faith and repentance, it's made all the difference to me. And God, I know some of these dear people have experienced that as well. And so God, I pray that as we think about that for our own lives, even as we apply it to you, God, and to how we've betrayed you and need to respond with faith and repentance, God, I pray that you would bring healing to our lives. And I pray, God, that we would give all glory to you, that we'd look back even on this day and say only God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say together. Well, our campuses and venues are now off on their own and doing their communion time, which is always a very precious time. And we're going to celebrate communion here as well. I can't think of a better day to do that. Amen? You guys are really weak on the amens today. I can, that's okay. I love you anyways. You're under the umbrella of grace. That's okay. And, and I think this is an amazing day for communion. I'd encourage you to do this. We're going to hand out the elements to you in a minute. These elements symbolize the grace that's been given to you through Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood that has secured your forgiveness, that even allows you to have a conversation about how to deal with betrayal. Use this time to worship, pray, maybe confess, maybe ask God to do something very big and powerful in your life around this theme of betrayal. Use this time to draw close to him. After all the elements are passed out, hold them. We will partake together uh, as one body. God, bless us in this time with your spirit. Grace us with your presence and your power, we pray. Amen.